Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? All right, last week, if you weren't here, um, I talked about sin. It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, uh, And it was part one of this series. We're just doing two little connectors uh, about sin. And last week, I posed the question, what's wrong? Uh, Do we need more laws, less laws, more money, less money, more power, less power? And God gives us the answer in Jeremiah 2 through the prophet Jeremiah and tells us the problem is not an outward problem. It's an inward problem. It's sin. And um, I thought it was kind of comical because if you know the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. The reason why he's the weeping prophet is because he keeps on calling the people of God to repentance. Come back home. Come back to Jesus. He wants to restore you, redeem you, repent. And as he's preaching these messages of repentance, some of the kings are taking his messages and setting them on fire. I preached some bad sermons in my day, but nobody set them on fire in front of me, okay? Um, so they're, they're kicking them out of the tribe, basically. They're like, stop telling us to repent. We like our sin. And so I preached the message just last Sunday. I'm like, all right, Lord, let's, let's see what happens. And people are like, DM me, my favorite message ever. Top five. Oh, last week was powerful. I'm like, were you at the same service? You know, I preached on sin, right? And so I, was just, I just love our church so much that... People are so ready to just receive that, that there is something stealing from you, and it doesn't have to steal from you no longer. And so we looked at what is wrong with the world uh, when sin gets a hold of it. But what happens if sin gets a hold of the church? What happens if the church gets infiltrated with sin? And so today we're going to fast forward 100 years to the book of Haggai. Uh, we're going to the minor prophet. Last week was a major prophet Sunday. This Sunday is going to be a minor prophet Sunday. Um, if you are new to church, major prophet just means it was a bigger book in the Bible. Uh, minor prophet just means smaller book. That's all it is. Major minor prophets is a small book. Uh, the book of Haggai, it's two chapters long. He preaches four messages within a two-month span to God's people. And basically what he's doing is he is what, uh, if Jeremiah is the weeping prophet, Haggai would be like the uh, sleeping salt prophet. He's the, he's the alarm clock prophet. Um, God has called him to wake people back up again because sin has lulled them to sleep. He shares uh, four different sermons in that two-month frame, and each sermon is a sin that has literally crept into the people of God's life that is holding them back to building the life God called them to build and to build the church he's called them to build. First uh, sermon he preaches, they're lost in selfishness, lost in greed. Then he'll go on and talk, they're lost in the past. Like they're clinging to old things instead of actually letting God do a new thing. Another thing they're lost in is they're just lost in sin. They won't even confess their sin. And because of that, the fourth sermon he preaches, they've lost their authority. And so I'm going to try to um, get my hands around all this today and preach all four of Haggai's messages in one today. Does that sound okay? Tama messages lost in sin, lost in sin, lost in sin. Uh, The church was lost in sin. Here we go. Uh, Let's look at it. Uh, Haggai 1, we're going to read a little bit of it and then we'll dive in. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? while the house remains in ruin. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. There's that intervention thing. You'll see this all the time when God is trying to call people back. He wants them to see what is stealing from them. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on your clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Anybody in the house today, you've worked so hard to be fulfilled, but you're not fulfilled today. Maybe, just maybe, it's because you've made the wrong thing your God. Just maybe, just maybe. I'm just going to submit it today. Uh, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. 
I believe that culture, we're in a time of choosing as a church. Choose Jesus, get freedom. Choose culture, get bondage. Choose the church, get real community. Choose isolation, get devastation. It's a time to choose. And I wanna encourage you, choose Jesus today. You can choose your calling and have real fulfillment, or you can choose greed and have a life of lack is basically what he's showing right there. Man, I wanna choose Jesus and my calling. To neglect your calling is really to neglect yourself. To neglect your purpose of why you are alive is to neglect the fulfillment of your own life. Goes on to say, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, the greatest sin of a believer, of a Christian, the greatest sin is not serving God. The greatest sin of a believer is not serving God. Now, uh, this text is very interesting. What's happening in this text is God's people are fake gesturing God. They're saying, it's, you know, like, yeah, I know you want me to do this. It's just not the right time for me. Um, and if you don't know what fake gesturing is, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, what, one, one of my favorite fake gestures is, uh, so Rachel and I live in a neighborhood where there's a crosswalk on a busy street. And so a lot of time we'll often stop to let people cross uh, right there by Taylor and Grayson. And there's just different type of people, well, the way they'll cross in front of you. You know, so you'll stop and the people are like, okay, they see you stop and they'll just go like this. They won't even like acknowledge you. They'll be like, you are dead to me. You know, like, like nothing. Like, I don't want a lot from you. Like, I don't, if you give me like just a little, like, like I'm good with it. You know what I'm saying? You can give me a weird smile even. You know what I'm saying? So, so that's, that's some people. And then the ones I love though are these two. Like the, 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 the ones I love is, you know, I, I let them cross and they give me the fake gesture. This is what I do when I, when I cross the street. I, I, I start walking, but then I act like I'm running. I'm like, oh, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And it's like a fake run, but you act like you're like in, in a hurry and they're like, oh, that's so sweet. They're in, they, they move fast for me. Like that, 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 that would be a, called a fake gesture. Um, and then, and then the real ones uh, are the ones when I stop and they're like, oh my gosh, you stopped for me. And because I stopped for them, they like sprint across the street. Like, 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 like almost like I'm timing them. Like, like uh, 2.2 seconds, well done, you know. Um, have you ever been out to dinner with somebody and the bill's sitting there for 30 minutes and, uh, and everybody's like sitting there like. <laughs> and then you finally grab the bill and the other person's like, oh, I wanted to get the check today. You know, they get that, what we call the alligator arms, you know, they're like, oh my goodness, it's over there, you know. You know, um, and uh, and so they make the gesture. Oh, I'm, I got it next time. You know, and then you pay the bill. Like you've been fake gestured, okay? So what's happening right now is God's literally been calling them back, and they're saying, Ah, it's just not the right time. Oh, I'm just too busy. I, I, I wish I could. And so so he's literally like creating a way for them to come home. He stopped things. Hey, you can cross over again. And they're like, ah, I just I just don't have the time. And I'm here to tell you. Fake gesturing God and, and giving God a wink and a, and, a, and a high five is not going to change your life. Amen. What is going to change your life is when God says, come follow me, you come follow him. Woo! When he says, come to the other side, come to freedom, come to peace, come to joy, there is a reaction. Uh, A.W. Tozer said this, um, I'm glad my people are praying for revival, but now it's time to obey revival. Okay. It's time to actually obey it. Hey, a revival is not only found in prayer, it's found in Christians that actually obey the word of God. And so... Uh, he goes on uh, and shares that. So, so, so here's the, kind of the symptoms of what was going on uh, in the, uh, this time. The people of God had decided to live their life with no rules, no boundaries, and no God. And because of it, they became sick and weak. Jerusalem at this time was smaller and weaker than ever. When you decide to have no boundaries, no aim in your life when it comes to God, no, no God, no, no God was decided this, but no God, it will make you weaker and smaller than you ever have been. They had this posture, rescue me from my problems, but I'm not gonna turn away from my sins. Laziness has crept into the people. 
They were living without the rhythm of spiritual renewal. When God wakes you up, it is not a one-time event in your life. When you get woken up, when God awakes you to, to the reality of the kingdom, you have to live a life of renewal. And a life of renewal is praying daily. It keeps you awake. Uh, reading your word keeps you awake. Being in the community of God keeps you awake. Getting a small group, just a little plug. Getting a small group, it keeps you awake. Come on now. They were not living a life of renewal. They were living in the world, and therefore they were falling back asleep. Because if you actually read the story, it's connected to the book of Ezra. They started building the temple, and then they fell back asleep and let it sit there for 20 years. I don't know, we got a lot of great starters, but don't got a lot of great finishers. I want to encourage you today. God wants you to finish. He wants you to run the race and tr- trust his word that he will finish the great work that he wants to complete in you. So here we go. Uh, they wanted politicians more than they wanted prophets. Pro- politicians were the big deal back then, not prophets. They desired wealth more than wisdom. The allure of carnality and comfort was stronger than consecration. They didn't care about being set apart. They cared about the secular things of the world. God became useful to them, but no longer beautiful. God was treated as a side dish. He was no longer paramount or a priority. The adoring and worship had died. Um, saw this article. It's like three months old. Uh, Ireland's ATMs started shooting out cash. The whole nation. Like, like they were working the opposite way. Like instead of taking money, like, like, like so they started shooting out cash. Word got out. People started just going up, taking cash out, taking cash out. They start sending cop cars in front of ATMs, trying to shut it down, you know, telling people, hey, don't do that. We're all in this together, you know. And then, you know, people are taking the money. It's getting so bad that Ireland almost had to uh, lose their credit rating as a nation because it was shooting out so much. And it made me go like, man, when things are out of order, when things aren't working well, you will dispense the wrong things, and it will be very costly in your life. And some of you right now, I just want to encourage you, your life's out of order. But it doesn't have to be out of order. And that's what guy's saying. Like, hey, your life's out of order. It's out of order. You, you structure your life in a way that, that, that isn't going to bring blessing. And someone's like, God, bless my life. What is blessing to chaos? It's more chaos. Blessing to an out-of-order life is not going to make your life more in order. It's just going to make it more out of order because there's more things that are going to go out of order. I'm here to encourage you that God wants to align your life in a way that would change your life. Yeah. One of the things that shows me that our culture is out of order is there was a survey I came across. What would you do for $10 million? Here's what the survey showed what people would do for $10 million today. Uh, first thing they say is 25% would abandon their entire family for $10 million. If, we, if you're with your family today, say, I wouldn't do that to you. No, no, not a chance, not a chance. Lucky it's not a billion dollars. Okay, here we go. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, would, uh, another, this is a sad one. This is in there. 25% they said they would abandon their church. I was like, they ain't never been to Mission Church. Okay. These stats would be way lower. Okay. Way lower. Uh, what would you do for 10 million? Uh, uh, 23% said they'd become a prostitute for a week. And then some others volunteered or more. If I have to. You're, you're making known rules. You don't have to add more weeks. To, okay. Well, I thought that was kind of weird. I thought it was kind of weird. 20, 23% uh, said they become prostitutes uh, for $10 million. Uh, 60% said they'd give their American citizenship uh, for $10 million. Um, 60% said they would leave their spouses. If you were their spouse, say, not you, baby girl. Not you, baby girl. Come on now. Um, uh, 10% said they would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free for $10 million. They could be bought. They could be bought. They could be bought. Uh, 7% said they would actually kill a stranger. They'd be a hitman for this. Yeah, it gets kind of dark. Sorry, I, I, should, I should have warned you. It gets, it gets kind of weird. It gets kind of weird. Um, and then the last one is 3% would put their children up for adoption. Yeah. Turn to your little guy and say, hey, you better behave. Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
Bad joke. Yeah. Um, what this survey showed me is that when your life is out of order and you put money first, these are the symptoms you'll have. These are the desires that are in a person's heart. They will do anything and everything for, because here's the deal. The first thing they're lost in is selfishness. It's all about me. So if I can get mine, I don't care who I hurt along the way. I don't care about other people. I care about me. The problem is that when you only care about building your own thing, it will destroy your life. When you try to live an inward life instead of actually living for something greater than yourself, it will destroy you. God's got to order. He's got to order. He's got to order. My prayer today, as we look at these four sermons, and bear with me, uh, some of it's going to get a little thick. We're going to talk about the real cost of sin. Like we're going to go in, in one of the more sad stories in the Bible, the story of Achan, and look at it. Um, but I'm praying that these stories don't uh, make you feel like, oh, no, I can't do it. But they actually give you hope that there's still time to turn around and live for God. There's still time to order my life the way God called me to order life. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. We thank you for the uh, joy it is to be in a region that so desperately needs you. God, you're doing something uh, in our church. You're shifting things. You're shifting things. You're taking those who are lost and they are now found. You're taking those who had no joy and now have joy. God, you're shifting things. You're restoring families. You're restoring marriages. And God, we believe that this is just the beginning of what you're doing, God. God, we believe it. We believe it. But by your spirit is how you're doing it. So God, I pray today that you would do some more. God, we loved last Sunday. It was powerful. But God, we want fresh bread today. We want fresh breath today. We want a fresh fire today. We want to hear from our God today. We want to encounter you today. So God, I pray that apathy would be thrown out. I pray that my words would fall to the floor. God, we need you. We need you. And everybody said? Amen. All right, first thing that Haggai preaches to the people is that they were lost in selfishness. They were lost in selfishness. Uh, they were gripped by greed. Now, I, I'm going to just point out the elephant in the room. We are the richest region in the world. Chick-ching, okay? Like, you can look at all the studies. We're either first, second, or third. Depends on how they do the study. Is it overall wealth? Is it, you know, per person? So it depends on what studies you see. But we're either first or top three in all the world in money. I mean, we got money coming out our ears in the Bay Area. So me preaching on greed and money is like me walking into a bar and preaching against alcoholics. Like, like our preaching is don't drink, don't only have one drink. It'd be like the wrong, but it'd be awkward to preach that in a bar. Can we agree with that? Like, I want to write, hey, I want to preach against alcohol. And like, eh, get out of here. Now you know why they sent Jeremiah's sermons on fire. So I, I felt this deep sense of like pressure and just reverence of God. You're going to have to have your hand on this because we've all been deceived a little bit by money. We've all been um, sold a bill of goods by money that it can satisfy our soul, that more money will make me happy. God, we, we live in a place where we don't have some money. We have most money. And money's not bad at all. Money's amoral. It's the greed and the love of money that makes evil things. But when there's a lot of money, I'll say it, there's a lot of temptation. And so I'm believing today that as I preach against greed, that you don't feel attacked, but you feel this invitation be set free. Can I tell you something? You can be rich and free. You can be rich and free. You can be poor and free. It's not, it doesn't sound as good, but you can. Okay. <laughs> Merry Christmas. All right. All right. All right. All right. I could keep going, but I won't. All right. Um, let's say, hey, guy, one. Here's his first sermon. You've been lost in uh, selfishness. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The time is now. The time is now. The time is now. 
We live in a nation of procrastinators. 85 to 95% of people procrastinate on the regular. Um, I got stats. You want to hear the stats on procrastination? Let me read them to you, procrastinators. Okay, here we go. Uh, it was in the bottom of my computer. I was like, I'm going to share this in this service. Didn't share it Saturday night, but I want to share it on, on Sunday morning because I feel like there's a lot of procrastinators in 845. Uh, probably the least amount of procrastinators actually in 845, if I were just being honest. Probably should have done it to the Saturday nighters. Am I right? Am I right? Anyways, um, so uh, 14.4%, so out of the 95% of people who procrastinate, um, the other 5% who don't procrastinate, that's like Bezos, Elon Musk, the weird ones, okay? So let's just throw them out. Um, uh, but the ones that do procrastinate, 14% are rarely, 27%, you know, occasionally, uh, 22% often, and then 20% daily, daily. 20% are chronic procrastinators. Now, here's what they say about procrastinations. Procrastination is linked to stress, depression, anxiety, and fatigue. The, uh, that being said, procrastination might increase um, your mood temporarily. Like basically like it's uh, called a slingshot in the, in the wrong direction. It will give you like, a, okay, I'm not gonna do it. And you feel good for a second, but then it goes backwards this way to depression. It says that procrastination is terrible for your overall health. It is self-sabotaging behavior. And what the people of God and Haggai 1 are spiritually procrastinating and it is unhealthy for their behavior. And I'm here to encourage you. The Bible says to be ready in season and out of season. The time is now. The time is now. There's a holiday that is celebrated in January in the Jewish um, calendar. And it's a, 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 a holiday that celebrates um, the history of the Israel, land of Israel waking up. And so every January they celebrate it. And the symbol of this holiday of waking up is the almond tree. And the reason why they picked the almond tree is because the almond tree in Israel is the first tree to have its buds bloom in spring. And announces to all the other trees, it's time to wake up. It's time to be fruitful again. It's that time again. Winter is over. Barrenness is over. It's time to bear fruit. And I want to encourage you today. The church is the almond tree of the Bay Area. It is time to bear fruit again. It's time to wake up again. The time is now. The time is now. It's not tomorrow. It's not, I got to get this done first. You know, I'm really taking care of me. No, the time is now to wake up and live the life God called you to live. The people have told me, oh, it's not right time. No, God is saying it is the right time. The time is now to build God's house. You look throughout the word and you'll see that Jesus wept over Jerusalem because they didn't know what day it was. They didn't know what time it was. He wept over Jerusalem. He rebuked his disciples because they didn't know what hour it was for prayer says that the sons of Iskar understood the times and they were called wise because of it. One of my favorite sermons I preached on David was uh, David uh, didn't understand the, the season of kings going out to war. He neglected the season of kings going out to war. So he stayed back. And we know because he stayed back and didn't understand the season, he stayed back and he slept with Bathsheba. And I wrote this down. David's biggest mistake was not understand the season. David's problem didn't start when he was sleeping with Bathsheba. It started when he was sleeping on his assignment. Your biggest problem will not be because of this. It's because you're sleeping on your calling. You're sleeping on your assignment. That, that problem is making all the other problems. That problem is bleeding into every other part of your life. When you don't live out your calling, live the way God called you and wired you, it is going to affect everything in your life. Got a question. You know what time it is? It's time to build. It's time to build God's house. It's time to serve. It's time to surrender. It's time to pray. It's time to read. I'm going to say it's time to get a small group. We, we, we don't do small groups because we just want you to be busy. Right. I'm telling you, you get godly relationships in your life, it changes your life. 
you get people that will weep with you, pray with you, cry with you, and celebrate with you, like, like believers, watch what happens to your life. We are not supposed to live on islands and come on a Sunday and leave. I'll tell you, it's gonna be messy. Some small groups will suck. I've been to some bad ones. I would like to tell you that 100% of ours are gonna be great. I don't know yet. I haven't been to all of them. Oh, Tyler, are you allowed to say it? I'm gonna say it. And what I mean by that is, is that you'll find a place and you just don't fit in it. All the other ones fit, why don't you fit? Find another one until you find and fit with somebody. Come on, I just be committed to something that God so desires for your life. Amen. Uh, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while the house remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but uh, never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Hey, guy, wastes no time. He gets right to the point in the message. Like, can you imagine a message just starting like right away? Like, um, you're sinning, stop. You're living for yourself, stop. He, he wastes no time. He, he basically shows this. Hagar warns us that we really lose out when we put ourselves ahead of God. I want to encourage you this message in Haggai. Unlike Jeremiah, where they're setting his sermons on fire and kicking him out of the, the, the town, this message was received with real conviction. The people responded right away and they started building again. And I believe today, the way that God used Haggai's word to wake up the people in 500 BC, he's using the same word today to wake people up in the house today. As some of you are waking up right now, like, I'm gonna start living differently. That's being received with real conviction. And conviction is just pointing to what you've missed out on and what you can have. Conviction and shame is just, look at how good it could be. And so they sound like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like, I've been working my face off and it's just falling through my fingers. You're telling me there's a better way to live and they all received it and they started building God's house. So what I wanna do is, I, I, I want to share a story, and I almost was going to just preach. I was going to save this for another time, but it really goes with this. I was going to preach. I was going to title it, Two Men Who Lost Everything. And it's a, basically a, um, uh, a picture of two men, one man who lost everything in a bad way, and then one man who lost everything in a good way. And so I, I don't want to uh, sugarcoat Christianity to you or following Jesus. Um, it would be wrong of me to make you think that following Jesus would just cost you something. Following Jesus, it's going to cost me an hour and a half on a Sunday. Never mind, he preached for 50 minutes, hour and 40. You got it, okay, here we go. I'm just gonna keep it real. Um, is that gonna cost me just a Sunday? No, following Jesus is going to cost you everything. Everything. I love Jesus, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He literally says, you wanna follow me? Give up everything. Pick up your cross and follow me. Give up everything, everything, everything. What's interesting is, is Satan doesn't sell it that way. Satan says, you can, you can have this, and you can have that, and... And, and, and then what, what happens is, is he basically sells you something and the price tags on it, but he won't let you look at it until it's too late. And it's like, oh, actually, I forgot to tell you, it's going to cost you your soul. It's going to cost you your marriage. It's going to cost you your joy. It's going to cost you everything. So, so the question is, is what everything do you want to lose? What everything do you want to gain? And the story of Achan is this fascinating story. Um, I'll read some of it, but it's a longer read today. I want to encourage you to read Joshua 6 and 7. But the story of Achan is a fascinating story. Uh, the people of God are now um, being led by Joshua, and they're taking back ground, and the walls of Jericho collapse. And God gave some simple instructions, but these instructions were life and death instructions. And the penalty would be death. And one of them was, hey, when you go into this town, Jericho, all of the gold, all of it is not for you. It is, it is, it is, it is to be dedicated to me. It's the first city I gave you. He's creating a, a life of order for these people. The very first city that you conquer, you don't, you don't take it. I want you to dedicate it to me. So all the gold must go in the temple. 
And if anybody doesn't actually do this, it will require the penalty of death. And not only that, I cannot bless you anymore because I cannot bless a, a, a people out of order. And so they go into Jericho and Achan's one of the soldiers and he sees this gold and this robe and all these things and he takes it. And the reality is, is that uh, the people of God don't know that he takes it. And, uh, and so they go to battle again and they start losing in the battle. And so Joshua's like, you know, rips his clothes. God, what's happening? Why aren't we winning? And God goes, I see one thing. Put me first. That's one thing. I don't want my, one of the things that God didn't want from the Israelites is I didn't, I didn't make you people to be like pirates, to go in and just take things for yourself and become rich. This is not how, we are, we're, we're not gonna colonize uh, this place. I want it actually to be a place where you're setting people free, you're being impressed by these people, and you're gonna make this land a free land, not a greedy land. And so how can I bless you if the one thing I asked you, you couldn't do? Put me first. And so they go, who did it? Who did it? Who's the one that disobeyed that is affecting everybody? Can I get to tell you real quick? Sin affects innocent people. Well, somebody sinning in a family, it doesn't affect only them, it affects everybody. And so, so, so Josh goes, who did it? Come forward, and Achan comes forward. And here's, here's what Achan says in Joshua 7. Then Joshua said, Achan, my son, give glory to God, the Lord God of Israel, by telling the truth. Make your confession and tell me what you've done. Don't hide it from me. Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord and God of Israel among the plunder. I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them. They were hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. So Joshua sent the men to make a search. They ran to the tent and found the stolen goods hidden there, just as Achan had said, with the silver buried beneath the rest. They took the things from the tent and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites. Then they laid them on the ground in the presence of the Lord. Then Joshua and all the Israelites took Achan, the silver robe, and the bar of gold, his sons and daughters, cattle, donkeys, sheep, goats, tents, everything he had, and they brought them to the Valley of Accor. I preached on the Valley of Accor last week in Hosea. That's the Valley of Trouble. Um, and Jesus said he can turn the Valley of Accor into the Valley of Hope uh, for us today because we still have time to turn. Come on now. Then Joshua said to Achan, why have you brought trouble on us? The Lord will now bring trouble on you. And all the Israelites stoned Achan and his family and burned their bodies. It's serious and it's hard to see, but yet Achan committed uh, suicide when he stole the, the bars. He knew the cost. There's no, there's, no, there's no him debating. He's like, he's not like, no, this isn't fair. Like he knows what he did and he knows the consequence. And, and, and if I could just encourage you today, um, this story has three phases to it. And any time along the way of these three phases, Achan could have taken the off ramp and came back to Jesus. And I want to encourage you real quick. The off ramp is still open for you today. That if greed has gripped you, that if you are beholding something besides Jesus, there is time. And there's three things that you see that the process, how greed grips, how selfishness grips you. The three things happening, he says, he gazed, he weighed, and he coveted, so therefore he took. The world's all about takers. The kingdom's about receiving. We'll teach you to take. The, kingdom of, uh, the king of kings will teach you how to receive. And, and, and so look at this real quick. Uh, the first thing you saw uh, is he says, I saw it. I saw it. That Hebrew word is, I beheld it. So, so it'd be like, you know, like, um, oh, there's a light. Not a big deal. I see it. Okay, I saw that. I saw that. But the Hebrew word for behold is, you saw it, and then you looked at it. And then you thought, man, what could this do for my life? Uh, one uh, pastor said the true test of who your God is is what do you think about when you're by yourself? What, 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 what permeates your brain the whole time? That's what you're beholding. 
And so what Achan is doing is he's staring at this and he starts beholding uh, this thing. He starts staring at it and goes, golly, that's, that's a lot of money. That would make me very happy. And so he beholds it. And at this moment, he could be reminded of what the Lord's instructions were. Do not take this. I will bless your life. This will not bless your life. God's saying, this will not bless your life. Being a taker and greedy will not bless your life. But at that moment, he just, he's just gazing at the wrong thing. And it's starting to, in a way, uh, entrap him. Because here's what the next thing he says. He says, I weighed it. I weighed it. Now, now where did he weigh it? Well, I don't know about you, but um, if there was five pennies on the ground, I could count five pennies. But if there were 200, I couldn't count 200 right away. And look how he describes it. He goes on to say there was a beautiful robe, 200 shekels of silver. I mean, this guy is counting the silver. You know what I'm saying? Like he's looking at it. There was a, 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 gold, a gold bar that was a pound, so he's, he's feeling the, the, the weight of it. So how did he know it? Because he weighed it. Now, what does the word weigh mean in the, in, in the Old Testament? It means glory. It means he gave weight to it. Like, like it, it, it started, if, if Jesus was, was important to him, he started putting his hands on else, and Jesus became less important, and this became really important. He started weighing this above God. He started weighing this above obeying God. He started weighing something higher than God. He started giving glory to gold instead of God. Greed was gripping him. So what happens when you give glory to the wrong thing and you gaze at the wrong thing? Well, you covet it. You want it and you take it. At any one of those three places, you can break the chain. You can get off the road. There's an exit ramp just before the one of the, those toll booths. And here's the way it works. So he doesn't take the off ramps and uh, death is the penalty. Um, I want to show you how you can take an off ramp today. If you're somebody in the phase of where you have been thinking about uh, something that you think will make you happy, that will fulfill you more than you know, what God or your spouse or whatever, you're just thinking about something else and you beheld the wrong thing, I want to tell you real quick, you can behold the right thing. Yeah. And, and what the Bible says is that we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. Yeah that there is a greater person to fix your eyes on. There is a greater prize than some shekels and some silver, than a pay raise or some kind of fame. The greater prize, yeah, so, so the first thing I just want to uh, encourage as your pastor is uh, watch what you're gazing at. He gave us the, the authority to actually control our thoughts. Be careful what you're thinking about. Be careful about what you're always processing in your brain. You can hold it and take it. It says we can take a captive and toss it out. You don't have to surrender to it just being in your mind all the time. So be careful how you think. Be careful how you gaze. Second one, uh, and this is the, the, the big one, is um, there was a pastor, Thomas Chalmers, early 19th century, a Scotsman. And uh, he was really upset of how much poverty had created bondage and addiction in people's lives. So he wanted to create uh, a program to set them free. And he realized that like, just mechanically trying to set them free from it was not working. And so he went on to say this. He said, there's only one way you can ever release the soul from the power of a beautiful object. It is to give it a more beautiful object. And that more beautiful object is Jesus. And, and, and let me just, I'll, I'll unpack this with a simple thought. It is one thing to know how to play great golf and then go play great golf. Oh, I'll watch YouTube videos. Tiger Woods be telling me, okay, what you want to do is you want to pull your hands out this far. And then you want to make sure you keep your head behind the ball. And then your hips got to go first. And you come through, make sure the club stays under the glass. The glass will be where your head's at. Keep the club under the glass and then just set it free to second base. And that ball will go straight down the middle. I'll show up to, a, a, you know, the first tee. Okay, Tiger. Okay, Tiger. And then I'll swing to the right. Like, like I know, but I know. I know how to do it, but I can't do it. 
And so golf gets really frustrating for me. It's one of those things like, it's one way to, one thing to know how to sing a great song, but then to do it is a whole nother thing. Can we agree with that? Like, like if I were up here, we give you all the glory. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, wow. Oh, wow. I wasn't, wasn't ready for that response. That kind of hurt Mike T. Shots fired. Just trying to give an illustration, man. And talk about my singing or lack thereof later on. Okay. Um, I catch this real quick. It's one thing to know you're not supposed to sin. But it's another thing to actually stop sinning. And a lot of you are like, I know I'm not supposed to. But I just keep finding myself gazing, weighing, and taking. I want to be set free of this. And I'm here to tell you, this is a message not to discourage you. I'm about to encourage you a lot. The only way you can become a great follower of Jesus is not somebody who believes that the right behaviors will bless you, but the right person will free you. And I'm telling you, I'm going to double down on this. I will take it to the rest of my days. The way that you are set free, Paul even says, he goes, oh, the things I don't want to do, I do do. And the things I do do, I don't want to do. But he goes, thank God for this Jesus. The reason why you're still struggling with it is because you think that you can just take a little sip of Jesus and then go be free of the sin and go live your life. But the reality is, is that you have to bring Jesus everywhere you go. And every time that you're tempted, you're, Time out. Nope. I need to take another sip. I need to take another sip of this and not that. I need to say yes to Jesus again, not that. When the person of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit is with you, that's when life gets really free. Amen. That's where sin starts to lose its power. Amen. That's uh, the role that I feel like the Word of God tries to show over and over again is that being set free of sin is not a thousand no's. It's the right yes. And when you have the right yes in your life, it creates all the right no's. And I just want to encourage you real quick. The right yes is Jesus. And as you navigate this week, maybe you gazed and you watched and you took this last week, but this next week, you are going to have the right yes and say, Jesus, you are my yes. You are my yes. And it's just going to be a lot easier to just take the off-ramp because you want to take the off-ramp. I'm not telling you, hey, this is not going to be easy. But it's going to be worth it. Let, let me tell you why it's going to be worth it. We read the story of Achan. And it's a, it's a hard story to read and preach. A man who was called to live a certain way decides to not live the way he's supposed to live. And because of it, a whole family is hurt by it. And let's, let's actually put ourselves in the story and actually think about actually how that played out. They're searching his tent and they find it and they tell Achan, hey, Achan, um, we found it. And Achan goes, I know. Achan knows exactly what's going to happen now. He knew the second he took the bar of gold and the shekels, if people find this, my kids are dead, my wife is dead, every, everything's dead. This will just, he was weighing the cost and saying, I'm willing to risk my kid's life and my wife's life for this gold. And because they found it and because of his disobedience, he knew. It's going to kill everybody. And can you imagine being Achan walking to the valley of Accor and being his son or his daughter and his, being his son and saying, Dad, what's happening? What did, what did you do? 
Why did this happen? Why are, why are we going to die? Why, why, why did you have, want the gold? Like, like, why was it so important to you? Because when you list Aiken's like, stuff, he's got a list of everything. Wife, kids, cattle, donkeys. The man's rich already. He's got it. And he's got all these things, and it didn't satisfy his soul. And because of it, his kids are paying the price. His spouse is paying the price. And it's costing him everything. And I'm here to tell you today, if you don't take the off-ramp, it will cost you everything. And you'll have people that love you say, why? Why? Why didn't you ask me to pray with you? Why didn't you ask me to labor with you? Why didn't you ask me to, to go with you on this journey? I wouldn't have thrown stones at you. I would have helped. Why did you bury it? Because when you bury your sin, nobody can help you deal with it. But if Achan would have said, hey, oh my gosh, I, gotta, I, I made a mistake. Oh, I, I, I blew it. I, I don't want this. And people would have walked with him. And I want to encourage you today. There is time to unbury your sin and walk to freedom. There is time to not pay the cost of sin. The cost of sin is death. It's destruction. I'm telling you, you don't want to hear it. Your, your flesh hates hearing this right now. Your flesh hates it. It hates hearing the thing it loves most. Your flesh loves sin. It loves instant gratification but I'm here to tell you, it leads to death. So then we have a man named Elijah. Elijah is called to live for God. And Elijah is now gonna pass the mantle to Elisha. And when he passes the mantle to Elisha, let's look at another man who loses everything, but in all the right ways. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing the field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field. Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elijah left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll go with you. So Elijah puts the cloak on Elisha. It is literally the signifying, my calling is now your calling. Jesus is a greater Elijah. And so this is the follow me moment. This is the, hey, you've been called, you've been anointed, come follow me, go give up everything and come build the kingdom and actually live out your purpose. That's what that signifies that moment. So that's, he knows what's happening just by the cloak being put on him. Um, so Elijah replied, go back and, uh, but think about what I've done to you. So Elijah returned to his oxen, slaughtered them. He used the wood uh, from the plow to build a, uh, a fire to roast their flesh. Theologians believe that Eli Elisha, he was balling. This guy had money, plows, oxen, filled. Like this guy was doing well financially. And it says he goes back and he slaughters his oxen and then he takes his plow and his tools, sets them on fire and cooks his oxen for one great feast to say goodbye. And if I don't, I don't mind you, but if I were like Elijah's friend and be like, what just happened? God called me to build his kingdom. I, I know, but shouldn't you like maybe leave a couple oxen and one plow just in case this don't work out? Like, bro, you're burning everything. You, got, you ain't got no backup plan after this. Like you are really committed to this. Like, are you sure? Like maybe like, 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 like hide an oxen or like, like keep one tool. Like, like what if like in like a year it gets hard and you don't want to do anymore and then you just come back and be rich again? Like, like you want to burn everything? And, and I just want to encourage you real quick. I, I was sharing this with, with Joe the other day. I said, man, I, I've done ministry long enough. If somebody makes it five years in ministry, they're going to be in ministry for the rest of their life, what I've noticed. But the first five years, stats show that 80% quit within the first five years of ministry. And I was there those first five years. Oh, I had, I had dreams of uh, maybe being a college basketball coach or being uh, like on a sitcom and doing TV shows. You know, I wanted to be an actor. You know, like, I mean, <laughs> okay, uh, and uh, um, so I, I was in LA and uh, I'll never forget my first five years of, of ministry. Each time it got hard, 
I felt tempted to go out the back door. I'm gonna, you know what, I'm, I, was, I was in Washington at the time. I had just met Lorenzo Romar. I was like, that's it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna transition. I'm gonna go to UW and I'm gonna follow around Romar. This is way too hard. You know, I, I labor every day and, and you know, our, our youth ministry's you know, doing well, but then you get one parent complain and I was making 200 bucks a week. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, and then I, I, you know, my other buddy, he's actually, you know, chasing college coach. Like, I was like, you know, I'm going to do it. And then at the last second, I feel like, Lord, tug in my heart, you know, don't give up. And I would, I would turn around. And, and then I remember moving to L.A. And so like my fourth year in ministry and things were getting hard. And um, I had a boss that was really abusive. And uh, it was always when I'm weak, when I feel like that back door would kind of creak back open a little bit. And, and I'll never forget it. Uh, uh, you know, one of my buddies at the church, you know, uh, had acting coach and um, agents and, you know, a handful of like people that were somewhat famous at the time uh, were, uh, were connected to. And they're like, Tyler, like you have like comedy kind of delivery, like, like your timing's good. Uh, we should get you headshots and you should try acting. And at that moment I was weak. I was like, let's do headshots. <laughs> so we did, well, we, I got headshots out there somewhere. So I got my headshots done because I, I was like, I was, I'm done. I was like, this guy's abusive. I, I, I'm done doing this. I'm, I'm just going gonna, gonna to go act. I, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun to, you know, uh, even write, maybe write a show or something like that. So I was like, I was like I'm done. I remember getting my headshots and um, I got them back and I thought I actually looked pretty good, but whatever. Uh, I, was, I, was like, I was like, dang, this guy is like a magician. Like, oh, this is great. You know, I, don't, I don't think I look this good, but hey. Um, and I remember like, uh, you know, the next step is, you know, giving them to different agencies. And I remember I had everything ready and, I looked at it and it was my burning my oxen cart moment in my life. It was the setting the things on fire of the old. And I thought the Lord said, are we going to do this every time things get hard? We can do this every time things get hard. And I took my headshots and I threw them in the trash. And it was my day. I was like, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's one of those moments where you don't remember every moment of your life, but I felt in that moment for the rest of my life, my life is yours. Good days, hard days, good email, bad email, good boss, bad boss, good coworker, bad coworker. God, I'm building your kingdom. Amen. And if you're in the house today, today might be your day for that. Yeah. If you want to burn the bridge of comfort today, you want to burn the bridge of your past today, you want to burn the bridge of carnality today, I've got good news for you. I've got matches and we ride at dawn, okay? We're going for it. We're going for it. I was, I was on a prayer walk this, uh, this week and I was like, Lord, I don't want to go too hard. I don't want because what happens as a pastor is people come in and I know a lot of you had a hard week. A lot of you had a hard week. And then you come in and you hear a sermon like, stop sinning. You're like, it's already hard. And now I got this on my plate. And I was like, Lord, like, I, I want people to come in and I, I want them to leave freer. I want to build your people. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to drive cattle. I want to shepherd sheep. I want to shepherd people. I want, I want to be a great pastor. And as I was doing, I just felt like the Lord has birthed that statement to me. We ride at dawn. He's saying, call people to action. Call them to set free. Because of why they're beat down is because they're not living in the right spot. The reason why they're so tired and so weak is because call them to freedom. Call them to the promised land. Call them to cross over again. And I'm here to tell you, as a church, if you're a young person, the time is now. Like, ah, no, I got school or I just started my career. No, it's not the time. It's now. No, to the young people in the house, we ride at dawn, Okay. If you're a millennial in the house and you're a young professional, I'm telling you, I get it. You have a great career going on. I love it. I want to encourage you. We ride at dawn. We're living for Jesus right now. Right now. Not when you finish this stuff up. Right now. To any of the baby boomers. That's what I love about our church. Zero to 100. I feel like we have every age and I love it in our church. And what I love is, is every person that is a baby boomer or above, man, you got passion for God. The time is now still.
You, you aren't coasting. You're not a looky-loo as you get to heaven. You're not coasting into heaven. All of us are in fifth gear, foot to the metal saying, I want everything that God has for me. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I uh, only got through one of Haggai's sermons. <laughs> I've got three more to go and I got 13 seconds on the clock. Uh, second one, uh, lost in the past. Uh, th- third one, uh, lost in the uh, end scene. I'm kidding. Um, I'm going to give you a little overview and then, and then we'll, uh, we'll close it up. Um, next thing that happens in this is the people of God start building the temple. And guess what happens? They're mad. Because everybody who started following God that they knew of was blessed right away. And so they're frustrated because they start building the temple and they're like, where's our blessing you said our, uh, you know, we were working and things were going through our hands and now we're actually working for God, but I don't see all the money. I don't see all the blessing. And so like they're complaining to Haggai that life isn't as good as it should be right away living for God. And not only they, they're like, and not only that, what we're building doesn't look greater than the old temple and you promised you'd be greater than the former. And so Haggai has to address their their mindset of being clinging to the past of how they think things are going to play out. And I'm here to encourage you, God always delivers. What you do, don't know, or maybe you do know, is that this temple uh, is the one that is, they're trying to rival Solomon's temple. And this temple is actually greater than the former. It becomes bigger. And not only that, Jesus preaches in this temple. It's a greater temple. And so all the promises about this temple, it becomes a greater temple. These people do get blessed, but not in their timing, in God's timing. They had to be, like, it was like, they wanted instant gratification even when they started following God. And I just want, I want, I want to encourage you real quick. When you start following God, here's the one thing he promises even as they build. He says, hey, guy, 113, he says, I promise I'll be with you. I promise I'll be with you. And I, and I, want, to, I want to invite the worship team to come up. And, and, I, and I want you to catch this real quick. So he says, you know, hey, build the house. And the greatest blessing I'm going to give you is my presence. And they don't really even know what the greatest blessing is yet. They still think it's monetary. He's like, no, no, it's not no, it's monetary. It, like, I'm gonna bless you with provision, but the greatest blessing is my presence. And throughout the Bible, if, if I could just encourage you, you'll see this throughout. When Moses is um, uh, with the people of God and he comes down with the 10 commandments, he comes down there and the people of God very quickly start worshiping a golden calf and um, Moses is frustrated. And I'll, I'll read it to you uh, real quick. Exodus 33, 13 through 15. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know uh, and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. I love that when they were like worshiping the golden calf, he's like, these, are your, these ain't my people. Uh, these are your people, God. These, they, they is they, acting a fool again. They, look what your people are doing. Um, and uh, what happens is, is uh, the Lord does not give Moses a plan. God, what do I do with these people? They're lost in sin. What do I do with them? Or how about, what do I do with me? I'm lost in sin. Give me a plan. And God's response is not a plan. It's his presence. He goes, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. God doesn't give a plan. He gives his presence. God doesn't give a checklist. He gives his companionship. Who you go with is everything. Who's in the car with you is everything. Who you do life with is everything. not the size of what you're starting with. It's who you're starting with. I want to encourage you today. Don't leave the house without the Holy Spirit. Don't build without the Holy Spirit. Don't battle without the Holy Spirit. You need the helper. You need the comforter. Oh, you need him to guide. You need him to guide. 
something I want to just touch on real quick. The, the, the third sermon he preaches is uh, that they're lost in sin. They're lost in sin. God calls them to live out the promise and they start doing it. But like there's an elf in the room. None of them has like acknowledged like that they were sinning. You ever anybody like break something in your house and they're like, you're like, are you going to say sorry or any like, like, like somebody like, like it, all I need is a sorry. But like until you acknowledge it, it's just kind of weird in our relationship. And so what happens is the people of God are building the house. He's like, are you not going to confess your, you're not going to confess your sin to me yet? Like, like I want to have a relation with you, but you need to confess your sin so I can take care of your sin. And you haven't confessed it yet. They're just like, we're not going to talk about what happened in the last 20 years, right? Like, you know, how we were like disobedient, like we're just going to start building. It's all good. No, God's like, I need you to confess your sin. It's interesting what holds people back from confessing their sin. I think they think it's going to be the worst moment of their life instead of the best moment of their life. Ask to any, ask any believer in the house when they came clean with their sin, how free and how new the season felt for them. I've never heard a believer tell me I confessed my sin and it was the worst thing I ever did. I've only heard believers, I said, I confessed it and I had no idea that, that, that the freedom I could feel in it. It was painful at the time, but, but what it did to my life, it changed everything. Now, uh, there's these studies that uh, uh, I was studying that the average person is lied to 10 to 200 times a day. He was lied to 10 to 200 times a day. But now that you lie to yourself on average two to 200 times a day. All that shows is the spectrum of some people, you would lie a lot. And other people, you don't even know you're lying to yourself sometimes. But like basically, lying and deceiving happen all the time. And you ask yourself, I don't lie. Again, average person, maybe you're the one that never lies. I'm not, I'm not here to throw darts at you today. Tell you you're a terrible singer or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah, good golfer there. I'll take it. Um, why is it? Why is it that there's so much deception? Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Lies we tell ourselves. I'm fine. It's one of the most famous lies we tell ourselves every day. I'm fine. And God's going, you're not fine. Will you confess your sin? The, the people of God in the book, hey guy, we're fine. God's like, you're not fine. You're lying to yourself. You're deceiving yourself. Another lie we tell ourselves. Just this once. Just this once becomes just as once all the time. It becomes a rhythm of life. So another lie we tell ourselves. Another lie is we tell ourselves, I'm in control of this. I'm in, it doesn't control me, I'm in control. Another thing that your heart is so deceptive that you're lying to yourself. Another lie we tell ourselves, these people don't care about me. What keeps you from a relationship, what keeps you from fulfillment is that the enemy will whisper lies that these people don't care about me. There's another lie we lie to ourselves about. Another lie we tell ourselves, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll build tomorrow. I'll deal with it tomorrow. So what do you do if you're a people that are lost in sin and you're lost in your own deception? If this thing is that wicked, what, how, how am I going to live my life? Thank you, Jesus, for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for Psalm 51, one of the greatest confessions in all the Bible. It's David when he had no idea that he had murder in his heart. He didn't even know he was a murderer. David had no idea he was adulterer. He had no idea that he was willing to kill somebody and take somebody. He had no idea that was in his heart. He had no idea his heart was that deceptive. He was lying to himself the whole way about how to navigate it with Bathsheba. He was so deceived by it, he didn't even see how bad it was until Nathan came and showed him his blind spots. But here's what David said. Create in me a new heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And this prayer of confession that you start to say, I'm gonna encourage you, read Psalm 51 every day this week. Let's read it as a church. 
and read it and just say, God, would you create a new heart in me? Renew a loyal spirit within me. I uh, uh, was talking with my buddies yesterday and his, his daughter um, uh, wanted to order the new Trolls movie. It was like 24 bucks on Amazon Prime. And uh, they said, no, we're gonna wait for it to get cheaper. You're not allowed to order it. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, she said, okay, okay, okay. She's like four or five years old. And, um, she finds a way to do the parental lock and basically cracks the Pentagon and orders the trolls. And uh, they're like, we don't even know how she did the parent lock. Like, I mean, like she got into all of it. It was like amazing, you know? And uh, I guess she like was halfway through watching trolls and runs into the, the room to her parents. I'm not worthy to watch the show. I ordered trolls. You told me not to order trolls. I'm sorry. I'm not. Like, she's just devastated over it. I'm sorry. You know, 25 bucks. Like, she literally robbed her parents, <laughs> disobeyed them, just came in and cried and was soft. And he was telling me, he's like, we prayed that she would be the best daughter. And she is. We prayed she'd be kind. She'd be soft. And I was like, what's so funny? I'm sitting there. I'm like, yeah, but she did steal. You pray for her not to be a thief? You know? she, she was rebellious. Like, did you pray for her not to be rebellious? But just hearing the Father's heart at that moment. Because you read Psalm 51, David says it. You don't want a sacrifice. You want a broken, contrite spirit. You want a confessing spirit that's like, I blew it. Would you fix it? Would you forgive me? Would you, don't, don't take your presence from me. When a kid comes and confesses to an earthly parent, it makes them melt and brag about how great they are. What do you think our God does when you come and melt and confess your sins to him? Oh, I pray that you'd confess this week. I pray that you would run into the room to your God and say, God, I, I did it. I clicked on something I shouldn't have clicked on. I decided to do something I shouldn't have done. I've been gazing at the wrong things. God, I confess it to you. Would you renew a, a loyal spirit in me? Give me a new heart, a clean heart. Would you create something new in me? Oh, don't depart your spirit from me. Would you bow your heads? No idea if it's your first time or second time in church. If you've ever been to church, but today's a day where you, you, need to, you need to get right. You need to get your life in order. But you can't get it right on your own. You can't be justified on your own. You can't be renewed on your own. You can't be um, uh, made whole on your own. You need a savior. You need the one that delivers, the one that redeems. And that's why I love this moment. It's the moment where the person in the house realizes, I need Jesus. And the way we do that was we raise our hand and simply say, God, I need you. The Bible is very clear that we need to confess with our mouth and with our heart that if we believe that of those things, that we'll be saved. I don't want to encourage you today that by you raise your hand and saying, Jesus, I need you, that Jesus is going to save you. You're asking for a relationship today. If you want to say yes to heaven, no to hell, yes to blessing, no to cursing, with every head bowed and eye closed, on the count of three, if that's you, raise your hand, catch my eye. One, two, three, raise it up, raise it high. I see you, and I see you, and I see you. Come on, hands all over the place. I see you. Come on, that's a great decision. Come on now. Anybody else want to say yes to Jesus? Raise it up. I see you in the very, very back. Come on, God bless you. I see you on the left-hand side. My God's doing something right now. Come on. God, we thank you. God, you, you are moving in the Bay Area. You are renewing minds. You are awaking sleepy Christians. So God, I thank you for every person in the house. I come against discouragement this week. Could you look up real quick? I want to encourage somebody real quick. The book of Galatians is this whole book on basically grace is greater than everything else. I'm not trying to give you a license this week to mess up. But what's happening over and over again with God's people is when they would mess up, they thought, well, my behavior is going to fix it. Your behavior will not fix your life this week. Be with Jesus this week.
and then be with Jesus more and watch what happens to the way that you actually start living. I'm not giving you a checklist today. I'm giving you Jesus today. So Jesus, we simply say, we need you. We need you. Oh, I pray that we live a life of renewal. We want to pray to you. We want to read your word. We want to get in community, be surrounded by people that love you. Bless these people. God, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.